Well, good morning and welcome to Renewal Church. My name is Jared Kirk. I'm the lead pastor here, and I am glad that you are here today. Thank you for joining us. Happy Easter. We have this old tradition, a very old tradition in the Christian church, on Easter where somebody says, he is risen, and then you reply back, he is risen indeed. Should we try it? Okay, he is risen. He is risen indeed. That's beautiful. Man, it is such a good day. For me, this is actually my favorite day of the year as an adult. Um, For me, this is just the most special time. But when I was a kid, I didn't grow up going to church. That wasn't a part of my family. We didn't do that. Um, Easter wasn't my favorite part of the year. Christmas wasn't my favorite part of the year. Do we have any Christmas people? We have some Christmas people. My mom would just put on Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas album. That was the whole thing. My favorite time in the year, because I was a weird kid, was hurricane season. I grew up in South Florida, down in Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, and I loved hurricane season. I'll tell you why, because when hurricanes come through in South Florida, what we do is we would get uh, plywood and we would board up all the windows of the house. So the house would get pitch black. And if you were really lucky as a kid, the power would go out because your parents would light candles. And then my dad, who normally did, my dad wasn't exactly like, he didn't play with the kids, if you know what I mean. My, my mom and dad would take out board games, and we would all play board games by candlelight in my house. And my older sister, who was way too cool to ever play with her baby brother, would turn the couch into a fort, and it was just the best time of the year. But when I was little, I didn't understand the destructive potential of the storms that was happening outside. Until 1992, when Hurricane Andrew came through South Florida. And it came through in the middle of the night. And then in the morning, we woke up and the house was dark. There was no power. There was no air conditioning. And so we walked out into that humid South Florida air. It's like hitting a wall made out of water. You need gills to breathe outside of your house. And so we walk out there and we look. And our house is basically untouched, no damage at all. But all around us, there's, um, there are tree limbs that have fallen through roofs. There are cars that have been crushed and destroyed. There are pieces of of the roofs that are missing. Some of it looked kind of like this. Take a look. Hurricane Andrew was incredibly destructive. And even as a little kid, I learned a couple things. I learned that you'd better be prepared when the storms come in your life. Because if you wait until the storm arrives, it's too late. Have you ever lived through a nor'easter in New England? Have you tried going to the grocery store the day before a nor'easter? What is in the grocery store? Nothing, right? All the milk is gone, all the bread is gone, all the eggs are gone. People have run home and made French toast. It is just empty. If you wait to prepare until the last second, you've waited too long. And here's the second thing I learned, even as a little kid, is that it matters how you build. It matters how you build. My house was made out of cinder blocks. And um, some of the stick-built houses, some of the trailers in South Florida were completely wiped away by that storm. It matters how you build. Now, Jesus, when he came to this earth, before he died on the cross, before the resurrection, he he went and taught people. And part of what he taught people was how to live life. And, And there was one particular place where he taught about living a resilient life. How do you live a life that will stand when the storms of life inevitably come? And I want to read to you today... Uh, what Jesus said about building a life that can stand. And after that, we're going to talk about Easter. It's Easter. We're going to talk about the resurrection. But I want to start here for an important reason. Let's look at what Jesus says. Now, take out your message notes. They're in your program when you came in. And the passage is right here on the front of the message notes. 
Jesus said this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, I want you to circle the word. It's in the last sentence, the word when. You know what that little word means? It means that the storms of life, it's not an if, it's a when. Jesus is saying the storms of life are going to come against you. Most of us have the ability to, to handle the minor storms of our life, the minor challenges, the minor trials, the minor inconveniences of life. But when something major hits your life, are you prepared for that? Jesus says the storm is coming. And then I want you to find and circle the word sand and solid rock. Sand and solid rock. That means that it matters how you build. It matters what you build your life on. We're starting a new teaching series today called Unshakable Faith. And here's kind of the core premise of Unshakable Faith. It's not about how much faith you have. Right? Sometimes, sometimes people will say, like, I wish I had more faith. Unshakable faith is not how much you have. It's about what you place your faith in. It's about what you have built your life on. And Jesus says, if you build your life on the sand, expect it to collapse. Now, sand in this metaphor is the things in this world that are not stable, that are not sturdy, that pass away. So if you build on people, possessions, power, or positions, your life is eventually going to crumble because those things cannot bear the weight of your life. That's building on sand. But Jesus says building on bedrock is, is building on his teachings. And so when the storms of life come, you'll be ready. So this teaching series, Unshakable Faith, is about building a life that prepares you for the major storms. What happens when someone that you love dearly dies unexpectedly? Can you live a resilient life? Can you stand through that? What happens when you face major loss? When you face failure? when you face financial failure, when you're dealing with serious doubts, how do you stand? That's what unshakable faith is all about. And today, what we're gonna see through the rest of our time is that unshakable faith starts with the resurrection of Jesus. That's where it comes from. And so I wanna take you back to the first Easter 2,000 years ago to encounter the first disciples of Jesus and how they came to they came to possess faith, unshakable faith, that would shape the course of Western civilization, right? So look at me at the next passage in your teaching notes. It's John chapter 20. And this is actually going to be the, the text that we're going to spend the rest of our time in today. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, and let's pause there. When we encounter the first disciples, their whole world has been shaken, they, they, they have lived through the, the teachings and the ministry of Christ. They've seen his miracles and his power and the way he was with people, the way Jesus loved everyone, drew people to himself from every, every spectrum imaginable. Jesus drew people to himself. But then the crucifixion put an end to all of that. They had lost someone that they loved dearly. 
They had serious doubts. They thought he was the Messiah. They thought something was going to happen, but then it seemed to have crumbled in front of them. The, the movement that they were serving seems to have fallen apart, and so they're facing down their failures. And on top of that was the shame, because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, and on the night when the, the, there was a mob that came to arrest Jesus and take him away to crucify him, they all just scattered and so they're dealing with the shame of abandoning their friend and their leader in the time when he most needed them. And so they're sitting there behind a locked door in a dark room by lamplight, waiting and uncertain for what's going to happen. The crucifixion shook their world. But they don't stay that way. And we know this as an historical fact that these same disciples that were in the room went on to shape our world and shape civilization as we know it. So something changed in them. Let's see what it was. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He's showing them the nail marks and the place where the spear pierced his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In that moment, when they encountered Jesus risen from the dead, all of their anxiety dissipated. The fear and the shame was wiped away. The confusion was replaced with purpose and a plan. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything from them. And it changed each person in that room. That Peter was the easily shaken denier of Christ, but he became the unshakable leader of the early church. Thomas, you may have heard of him, was the easily shaken doubter, but he became the unshakable missionary. John went from brokenhearted to healer. Mark went from scared teenager to emerging leader and writer of scripture. Mary went from tearful mother to triumphant caregiver, and on and on we could go, from Andrew to St. James and everyone else. What transformed these people was the resurrection of Jesus. They ran into Jesus. And every single one of them went to their death saying, I saw him, I met him alive. And the, the authorities of their day put them to death and said, we won't kill you if you just say it was a vision. It was a group hallucination. We must have, we must have just dreamt about it. We must have ran into his ghost. If you say any of those things, you don't die. But they said, no, we saw him alive. And all of them gave their lives saying, we saw him alive. And so you can do whatever you want to do. I'm not changing what I say and what I saw. The resurrection changed them. And here's, the, here's kind of the key point of our message is the resurrection can change your life too. You know, I don't know what's shaken your world, whether it's been death or illness, loss or doubt or failure, but the resurrection can do for you what it did for those first disciples. When you build your life, on the bedrock of Jesus Christ. So what we're gonna look at for the rest of our time today is the four promises of unshakable faith. So turn to the inside of your message notes and write this down. The four promises of unshakable faith. God gives me peace when I am anxious. The first followers of Jesus were locked in that room cowering by lamplight, and they were anxious. And we know this because when Jesus showed up, what he said was, peace be with you. In fact, he said it twice to make sure that they got it. Jesus came and stood among them, said, peace be with you. When Jesus showed up, 
they had peace. Now, some of you know what this is like because you are an anxious person. Dealing with anxiety in your life has become a huge part of your world, everyday life, how you cope with it, how you deal with it. Panic attacks could send you to the emergency room. I, I once... Um, well, when I was growing up, my best friend was a kid named Brian Miller. He was a terrible best friend. He was like the quarterback of the football team. He was very attractive. It was hard to be his friend. Um, and his mom, Lori Miller, uh, was like a second mom to me, but I never heard Lori say goodbye to me once in my entire childhood. And do you know why? Because when we left, she would say, be careful. <laughs> Lori was a worrier. She was a worrier. She was an anxious person. And some of you are dealing with that anxiety. Anxiety is, it's not a fear of a specific thing. It's this kind of buzz right in your gut that happens at the pit of your stomach. That you just, something bad might happen. Something bad is happening. I'm not sure what it is. And you've been anxious about your career. You've been anxious about your relationship status. You've been anxious about your family or an illness that you're dealing with. But God promises peace in the middle of that. Now, I want to show you a verse from the Bible about how you get that peace. And it's Philippians 4. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and then you will know what God, excuse me, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, you know, I'm not big on steps, but there's a, there's a definite progression here. So the first part that he says is, don't be anxious about anything. So when you're anxious about something, the first thing you need to do is you need to grab it. You need to grab hold of it, and you got that buzz, that thing, and you want to, and a lot of times, honestly, this is where temptation comes from. It's like we're worried about something, and we can't deal with it, so we just want to escape from it. So we escape to our phone. We escape to the store. We escape to the bottle. We escape to that person. You know what it is. So you got to grab that thing, that problem, and you got to ask, what is it? What am I actually anxious about? Okay? Then the second thing is he says, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So you take this problem and you bring it to God in prayer and then you compare the size of your problem to the size of your God. And when you do that, your problems start to shrink away. Now listen, then and only then, the peace which transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a supernatural peace. And the reason it's supernatural is because when other people look in your life, they don't understand why you have peace because in their mind, nothing's changed. The circumstances haven't changed. The problems haven't gone away. But you have peace because you've compared the size of your problem to the size of your God and you have peace. Now, I remember the first time this ever happened to me, I was... I was about 21 years old, and I was working at a Christian summer camp. And I had a, a younger guy who was 19 who was working under me. His name was Jason. And Jason came in one night at this, at this camp, and he was acting really silly and goofy. And then about 10 minutes later, he was acting like he was on drugs. And then about 15 minutes later, I started to get really worried. And so I, I, I reached out to the, the camp director, and I called an ambulance. Because I just he was babbling incoherently, and I, couldn't, I didn't know what was wrong with him. And so this camp was, it was a camp, so it's in the middle of nowhere, and we're out there, just a black sky, you can actually see the stars out there, and so we have to wait for at least 30 minutes for an ambulance to show up, and they come in. The paramedic gets out, she looks at Jason for about 30 seconds, and she comes over to us, and she says, he's having a stroke. We need to take him to the hospital right now. And just like that, they turn around, they put him in the ambulance, and they drive down the gravel road with a rooster tail of dust coming out behind them, and they disappear into the blackness. And we were all unbelievably anxious. So we stood in a circle and we prayed. 
And we stood underneath that black sky and all those stars and prayed to the same God who made those stars that he would take care of Jason. And the only way I can describe it is that a supernatural peace, I felt that peace in my life. Even though none of the circumstances had changed. And you know, a big part of that peace was knowing that Jason knew Jesus, that his sin was forgiven, that he had received the Holy Spirit, that he had hope for eternal life in heaven. And even if my worst fears came to pass, even if Jason were to die, we, and we would all be weeping at his funeral, he'd be having the best day of his life in the presence of Jesus. And so we had peace. I had peace. When you compare the size of your problems to the size of your God, you find peace. And this is possible because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Here's how it's related. If Jesus has the power to defeat death, don't you think Jesus has the power to defeat your problems? Listen, your problems, as big as they are, are nothing compared to beating death. They're just not. And so you can have peace when you're anxious because of the resurrection. Here's the second promise of unshakable faith. Write this down. God gives me power when I am weak. God gives me power when I'm weak. The disciples locked in that room were full of anxiety, but they were also they must have been feeling vulnerable. It says they were, they were fearing the Jewish leaders because if the government had the power to kill the leader of their movement, surely they were in danger too. So they were weak and vulnerable in that room. Yet we know that some change and transformation happens in these followers of Jesus because they literally shape Western civilization, which is not, it's not um, an exaggeration to say. Something happens where they go from weak to powerful. Look, look at what the text says in John 20, 22. With that, Jesus breathes on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Bible, when it talks about power, it always talks about Holy, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And people always get confused about the Holy Spirit and think that the weirder you are, the more of the Holy Spirit you got. It doesn't work like that. If that's the case, I've got an uncle who's got like lots of the Spirit, just tons of Spirit. Here's how it works. When you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, God gives you the Holy Spirit as a gift, and the Holy Spirit gives you power. The Holy Spirit gives you power to change your life today, power to fulfill God's calling for your life, and power to help other people find and follow Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, let me show you one verse from the Bible that, that connects these ideas together. Romans 15, 13. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever felt weak in private moments? Have you ever felt like you didn't have the power to change? I feel that way about every January 21st. <laughs> the diet is dead. <laughs> have you ever notice that you, you leave a trail of broken relationships in your wake as you go through life because you don't have the power to change. Some of, you, some of you feel physically weak. Some of you felt weak as a child. You felt like for one reason or another, you felt like you were two steps behind everyone else and that, that feeling has carried with you to this day and you know the pain of feeling weak and vulnerable. You can be weak because, you can feel weak because you're shy or because you have a, a personality flaw that just, there's nothing you can do about it. We have all felt weak. 
But when Jesus rose from the dead, he proved there's serious power to change. Now, let me talk for just a second to the men in the room, and you know why I'm about to talk to you. It can be so difficult to admit that you're weak. We don't go around bragging about like, man, you won't believe how little I, I lifted in the gym this week. It was epic. Man, you won't believe how little I get done at work every day. It's just fantastic. Guys, you know, it's just not something that we do. The, the, but here's the thing. Here's what I want you to know. The whole point is not that you brag about being weak for the sake of weakness. No, it's acknowledging where you're actually weak so the power of God can be displayed through you. God's not looking for people who are pretending like they're always strong. God's looking for people who can acknowledge where they're weak so that they can tap into his power. Okay, so here, I, I studied biomedical engineering in college, so humor me for a second with an illustration. Say, say you develop a medical device that helps people who are paralyzed to walk, and you need some, and you're ready to show it off to the world, so you need somebody to help you show this invention off to the world. Who would you pick? Someone who can already walk or someone who's paralyzed? Well, in this case, of course, you would pick the person who cannot walk because then you would be displaying the power that you have to help people, right? In the same way, God uses our weaknesses to show off his great power to the world. The point is not that I'm weak, like I just can't change my life. No, the point is I can change, but it's by the power of God. The point is not I can't accomplish anything great in my life. No, it's, it's that I, when I do accomplish great things, it is by the power of God. When I serve, it's by the God the power of God so that God could be praised and not me. So that in my life, when I'm living, I'm not making a big deal out of me, I'm making a big deal out of God. That's what he does when he gives strength in the middle of our weaknesses. He gives us power. He gives us power. God is not looking for perfect people to show off his power, but weak people. And here's one of the coolest verses in the whole Bible. And this is, the perf- this is, this is my favorite verse from all of Easter Sunday today. Look at Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So the power that, the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power available to those who turn from their sin to follow him. The power to change, the power to fulfill your calling in this life, the power to help other people find and follow Jesus. That power is available to you when you acknowledge your weaknesses. Okay, the third promise of unshakable faith. God gives me courage when I'm afraid. Write it down. The disciples in that locked room were full of fear. They were afraid of some very specific things. But what what changes them from afraid to courageous is the presence of Jesus. Look at John 20, 19. It says, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. And I love this. Jesus doesn't send a messenger. He doesn't send an angel. There's no motivational poster. You know, Jesus isn't like, hang in there. You know, it's just, he comes, he stands there, and it's his presence that gives them courage. And so, so let me ask you, like, what are the fears you're facing in your life? I, I think one of the biggest ones for people is fear of financial failure. And it doesn't matter whether your net worth has one zero, because it's zero, <laughs> Or seven zeros. I read a story this week of a man who, um, who he had a net worth of $30 million and he was nearing the end of his life and his financial advisor was trying to encourage him to give, mo- give a third of his money away. And the man, the man was having trouble letting it go. There was a lot of fear there. And he said, he said what's the hang? Like, if you have $20 million, you'll be fine. And he said, and the man said, I lived through the Great Depression and I lost more than $30 million in one 
day. So the fear of financial failure meant that giving was difficult for him. It took courage. And listen, that might, for you, that might mean I'm afraid I won't eat next week. Or it might be I'm afraid I'll end up back at zero, back where I started. I'll lose everyone's respect. I'll lose my parents' respect. And I won't have anything. Another fear that we encounter in this church a lot, just as a, fam, a, a spiritual family together, is the fear of ending up alone. This fear that there will never be anyone in my life. No one's ever going to love me. I'm, I'll end up, I'll probably die choking on food alone in my apartment. It's a real fear for people. And I think that the even deeper fear is just the fear of, of, of that true loneliness. Where no, no, you're not truly loved. So we have all of these fears. I have fears in my life. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of this church failing. Like it wasn't but a couple years ago when on a Sunday morning in the summer we had, um, we had 19 people in attendance. And I have five people in my family. And you know, that, that phrase, failure is not an option. And I thought, well, it's probably on the list, you know? And I mean, there's so much on the line because this church does so much good in so many people's lives. It brings so much love and community in here and then reaches out further into the community to be that presence of Jesus out in the wider world. So our ch- and so there's a lot on the line there. I'm afraid of failing with that. I'm afraid of being embarrassed if the church doesn't make it for all the people who gave us money, I'm afraid that when I get to the end of my life, I won't, I won't be able to provide for my family or for my kids. I'm afraid that my youngest kids aren't gonna remember their grandparents. And I'm afraid of touching snakes. <laughs> Have you seen them? It's in Genesis. It's like Satan is a snake and some people are just touching them like it's no big deal. <laughs> I have serious fears in my life. And, and, and here's the thing. If you do not face those fears with courage, you will end up paralyzed by those fears. And it's, it's, it's sad when some of you, you haven't gone to school because you've so, gone back to school because you're so afraid. Or you haven't switched careers out of fear or you haven't left your parents' home out of fear. But God wants to give you courage and he does it with his presence. When Jesus shows up, it gives you courage. Look at Deuteronomy 31.6. The Israelites are about to go into the promised land. They're terrified, and this is what God tells them. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not panic before them. Why? For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Underline that phrase, personally go ahead of you. The way God gives you courage is to personally be with you, and that's possible because of the resurrection of Jesus, because he's not dead because he's not in the grave. Whenever I'm facing a tough situation in my life and I have a lot of fear about it, I call my dad. Because my dad, is a, he's a level person, he's a stable person, he has a lot of wisdom, and after I talk to him on the phone, I have the courage I need. And if he lived nearby, I would want him to go with me. Because when my dad's with me, I feel, I feel courage in the face of fear. And you probably have somebody in your life that you're like, if they're with me, if they're by my side, then I have courage. Well, you know, because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, God is personally with you, and that person standing by your side is more powerful than any person you could ever bring with you. He defeated death, and so that gives you courage. When you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, 
God personally goes with you and he, he gives you unshakable faith because he has the power. All right. The fourth promise of unshakable faith. First, we said God gives me peace when I'm anxious. He gives me power when I'm weak. He gives me courage when I'm afraid. And finally, God gives me a plan when I'm uncertain. Not only did the crucifixion of Jesus mean that the disciples were anxious, that they were feeling vulnerable, you know, they, they were also a part of this whole thing with Jesus because they believed in a movement. They were trying to be a part of something to liberate Israel. So they had these dreams, these plans. And with the crucifixion of Jesus, it felt like it crumbled into pieces. And so they, they, were, they were just shocked with uncertainty. I was watching comedians in cars getting coffee. The one with Ellen, so good. And after her um, sitcom was canceled, she said she went away almost into exile for three years full of doubt and self-pity and uncertainty. She just didn't know what to do after that, right? Some of you have failed in your life in such a way that your, your world was shaken and you just didn't know what to do next. Or you lost somebody who was so important to you and the death was so untimely that you were just left, I just have, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. When Jesus showed up in that room with those disciples, he provided clarity and direction for where their life was going next. John 20, 21. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus gives you clarity and direction. Jesus has a plan. Now, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, this will be new to some of you, to some of you it'll be very familiar, is Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for good, and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. A future and a hope. God has plans for you. Now maybe when you hear that, you think, you know what? I have just enough faith to believe that. I believe God has a plan for my life. But I sure would like some details. Now here's the good news, bad news part of the message today. God does have a plan for your life. If history's any guide, he's not big on the details. You say, God, would you just, just give me the first letter of his first name, God. <laughs> hey, what's your name, Steve? No. No. I'm busy, buddy. I got things to do. God's not big on details. He's not. But he is, he is clear on setting the direction. When I got married 13 years ago to Heather, you look really pretty today. Um, it was my responsibility to plan the honeymoon. And all I saw was potential disaster. So here was my idea. I said, ah, I'm going to book a cruise because all I will be responsible for is getting to the ship, and I'm done. And it worked. <laughs> right? Because I wanted to know that I just show up and the destination is set. Now, all along the way, the decisions I wanted to make, which pool am I going to lounge at, and which restaurant am I going to eat at? And what color scooter am I going to ride when I get there? Because that's how I roll. Like, I wanted the destination set and to be able to make some decisions. Listen, when you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, when you become a, a believer and a follower of Jesus, the destination's fixed. Jesus gives you a plan. He gives you a direction. He says your eternal destiny is heaven. But I believe he gives you great freedom along the way. Who are you going to marry? Choose wisely. It's the second most important decision you make in your life. Number one is, what do I do with Jesus Christ? Number two, if I marry, who do I marry?
as an aside. That's just free. You can have that. (laughs) But the destination is set, and he gives you great freedom along the way. God's plan for you is certain, that you will arrive safely home. Now, I believe you can actually take a detour. You can make bad choices and take a detour, but you're not going to erase the destination. Not going to erase the destination. We spend so much time worrying about God's plans for marriage and where we're going to live in our career and those kinds of things. And those things matter, but they don't matter so much that you build your life on people, possessions, power, and positions. Those things fade away. Now, as we close today, as we close today, I want you to know something. Some of you are uncertain. You do not have to be uncertain about God's plan for salvation. God was very straightforward with it. And so many people are confused about how do I receive forgiveness from God? How do I, how do I get to heaven when I die? And there's all, kinds of, there's all kinds of questions about that and craziness about that. That is very simple. Number one, God made you and he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Isn't that awesome? God says he wants to be known not as a cosmic dictator but as a heavenly father. God doesn't want to be known as Lady Justice, weighing every deed of yours in a scale. It's like, I hope you're good enough. I mean, that's not how my father was. God wants to be known as a heavenly father. He made you, he loves you, he wants to have a relationship with you. Number two, we miss out on this relationship with God because of our sin. All sin causes a relational break. If you go, let me prove it to you. Go home today, grab your roommate's hairdryer, and just smash it on the ground. And then when they come home, say, I'll buy you a new one. Like, there's still some relational weirdness there. Number one, because you're a really weird person, okay? But number two, like, when you, when you sin against someone else, it causes a relational break. You don't just need to, you also need forgiveness. Some of you have been cheated on by a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse, and you know how deep of a relational rift Sin causes. So God made you and loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Sin is the reason that we miss out on this relationship with God. And number three, through Jesus Christ, you can receive forgiveness for your past, power to change today, and hope for eternal life in the future. It's through Jesus Christ. That's his plan. It's a gift that he gives freely. There's a verse in the Bible that says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not in your notes. It's a gift, but you have to open a gift. A gift that you don't receive or take hold of does nothing for you. When I got married 13 years ago, my Aunt Debbie, and Aunt Debbie, if you watch this, I'm really sorry for what I'm about to say. Um, She gave me a picture frame, and it was super ugly. So we didn't open it for like seven years and then someday we needed a picture frame, and I think it was going to go like back in the closet or something. So we're like, ah, pick Aunt Debbie coming through. We open up the box for the picture frame. We take the back off to put the picture in. There's a check in there for $100. And I cashed it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, had to, I mean, I had to throw it away. I didn't receive the gift that she had for me, right? And so, poor Aunt Debbie. But a gift does you no good if you don't open it and receive it. And that's God's gift to you through Jesus Christ. So the important question is, 
How can I receive the gift of eternal life? How can I have unshakable faith? How do I know that I have faith so that I can stand through the storms of life? And here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 1.5. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. If you are ready to receive God's salvation, it is available to you through Jesus Christ. Circle those last three words, through Jesus Christ. Anyone who turns from their sin to follow Jesus can receive God's help. And when I say turn from your sin, here's what I mean by that. Most people think like sinning is doing bad things. That's a pretty shallow vision of what sin is. You know, we think of it as breaking the Ten Commandments. You know, don't um, steal a pie, tell a lie, or kill a guy. Like just don't break any of the rules. But the first commandment is actually you shall have no other gods before me. And you would never break the other commandments unless you had broken that one first. Now, most of us aren't tempted to bow down to an idol of Baal, although I have friends on my street that have idols that they worship in their house. They're um, from a different religious tradition. Most of us say, God, I don't want you to be God in my life. I'm quite happy to be God in my life. Thank you very much. I don't want to follow you. I, don't want to, I want to follow me. I don't want to obey you. I want to obey me. I'm not going to follow your plan for my life. I have a good plan for my life. Thank you very much. So the essence of turning from sin to follow Jesus is not just I'm going to be better, but there's going to be a fundamental reorientation in my heart where I no longer live for me, but I live for him. I'm switching teams. I'm on team Jesus, no longer on team Jared. And I'm not going to live to make my name great or people think I'm wonderful. I'm going to live to make God's name great. I'm not going to live for me. I'm going to live for him. That's the essence of turning from sin to follow Jesus. Now I want to I close by telling you this. Today, because of Jesus, salvation is available. Forgiveness for your past, the power to change today, and hope for eternal life in the future if you just receive the gift.